Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Alright, welcome to Thursday. It's nice to have your company here on Starter FM as we go right around the country. Um, well, we go everywhere really. Uh, <laughs> online. Uh, it's great being on this digital platform. You can be listened to anywhere. And of course, later in the day on the Prawncast, which is our fancy way of saying podcast. Uh, that's on your favourite podcast platform. Anyway, we're here till nine o'clock uh, with uh, some bite-sized chunks of news. Now, being that obviously uh, uh, the show delves into politics, there's a, a little bit of that around this morning. I'll talk about some of the promises that have been made. I'll talk about uh, how the inflation figure that dropped yesterday will now affect the campaign. I think Josh Frydenberg, the Federal Treasurer, and, of course, Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, probably went to bed last night with a migraine, wondering how they're going to spin this. Labor, the opposition, on the other hand, they will, despite the fact that they'll be told not to by economists, they will spin this the best way they can toward a Labor victory. They will blame, basically, they will blame the Federal Government with the rise in inflation. The new figure is the worst we've seen in more than two decades. The worst since 2000. The worst since the introduction of the GST. Just over 5.1%. So um, if, if you feel you're paying a hell of a lot more for everything, you're absolutely right. The problem being inflation, being where it is, has obviously outstripped real wage growth. I can't remember the last time anybody I know received a decent pay rise. So wages aren't growing, but the price of goods continues to skyrocket. And that means someone needs to act. And that someone is always uh, who's responsible, if you like, um, supposedly independent, the Reserve Bank of Australia. So Next Tuesday, they will meet the RBA. Now, for, for so long, it seems, they've kept the cash rate at an emergency 0.1%. They've done that, of course, to try and get us economically through the COVID-19 pandemic. But they're going to have to do something. In other words, just because there's a real risk that inflation will explode and get out of uh, control. And we don't want to spiral into a depression with, uh, or certainly a recession. Anyway, the Reserve Bank, will they act? So I'll, I'll delve into that, those issues, those stories. Uh, I've got a, a guest this morning, a uh, member for banks, uh, the wonderful Julian Hill, uh, who likes to be called a knucklehead by uh, LNP Talkback supporters, but that's okay. He's used to that. Anyway, Julian, he and I will chew the fat on these issues and much more a little later this morning as well. Uh, we'll have a look at what's happening with the strike situation in New South Wales. Premier Dominic Perrottet walked into a school yesterday in a new education precinct around Marsden Park. As he walked in, teachers walked out. They're not happy, Premier. We'll find out why. And Margot Robbie, look at a story on Barbie. Yeah, Margot set to play Barbie in uh, what will be a massive film, there's no doubt about it. It's still a year or so away, but the first 
pictures of Margot as Barbie. I think she's perfect as Barbie, but who'll play Ken? Probably some hunky uh, actor somewhere. I'll let you know very soon. All that coming up. The latest news, of course, as always, from Air News. Some great tunes. It's good to have your company. On this Thursday morning, it is the 28th day of April. This is Marcus Fall in the morning. Thursday morning, and it's good to have your company with Marcus Paul, homeowners, economists, and even the Prime Minister Scott Morrison now face an excruciating six-day wait to see whether the strongest inflation print since the introduction of the GST will be enough to trigger uh, Reserve Bank of Australia interest rate hike. I've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, and I wouldn't be surprised, given yesterday's figure, which is big, that we will see um, a rate rise very soon. Consumer prices surged by 2.1% during the March quarter. So if you think things have been costing you more lately, you're not wrong. The annual rise now at more than 20-year peaks of 5.1%, easily outstripping what the market expected yesterday. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg said the figure was a reminder that Australians lived in a, quote, complex and volatile economic environment. And he pointed to the war in Ukraine as a key reason that fuel prices, for example, have leapt some 11%. But the most immediate question for borrowers and analysts is undoubtedly whether prices are hot enough for Governor Philip Lowe and his board to announce a controversial pre-election interest rate hike on Tuesday, May the 3rd. That'll be the next time the Reserve Bank board meet. That is Tuesday. Now, many believe the case for an immediate rate rise from the record low level of 0.1% is rock solid, regardless of the timing of the May 22 federal election, or May 21st federal election, or how strong upcoming wage growth data is. Is it really that strong? I mean, wages have been damn well flat forever. Rates were last raised way back in 2010, and the previous election campaign hike came in 2007, something that was seen as a definitive moment in the defeats of Prime Minister John Howard. The central bank is often said to have an unwritten rule that prevents them from making rate decisions during an election campaign, but many say the situation is now out of their hands. Yeah, analysts say there'll be talk about the RBA waiting for a wage growth uh, index next month, but that's not its mandate. Its job, of course, is to manage inflation and support full employment. Everything is now in place for rate hikes next week, whatever happens. Uh, The IMF chief economist Alex Joyner says anyone who sought to politicise a rate hike should be condemned. Uh, The data makes it abundantly clear that the Reserve Bank of Australia should raise interest rates at its May meeting. That's what he said on Twitter. Economists from all quarters should condemn anyone who seeks to politicise such a move. Uh, Look, maybe uh, that's what economists say, but you can bet your bottom dollar, pun intended, uh, that Labor will be taking this all the way to the bank. Look, the RBA has held interest rates at the emergency setting since November 2020 to help keep borrowing costs low and to cushion the economy through the coronavirus pandemic. But 
an unexpectedly strong increase in consumer prices, stoked by the conflict, of course, in Ukraine and ongoing supply chain bottlenecks has seemingly prompted the central bank to come around to a view held by many, and in particular those that work in the financial markets, that rates will need to rise sooner than expected, lest prices get out of control. Core inflation increased to 3.5% over the three months to March, a figure that hasn't been seen since December 2009, while an underlying figure of 3.7% is well above the RBA's target band of 2 to 3%. So, I, look, I think there's little doubt that next Tuesday we will see an interest rate hike. I'll talk about this in a bit more detail with my guest this morning, a little later in the program, Julian Hill MP. That's coming up. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, welcome back. Good to have your company on this Thursday, the 28th day of April. Uh, We are now about halfway through the election campaign and Labor has come up with a new tax plan, although they have been talking about it for quite some time, a crackdown on multinational companies avoiding tax. Under a Labor government, that would raise, according to Jim Chalmers, who is, of course, the shadow treasurer, $1.9 billion over four years. Unveiling Labor's economic plan yesterday, Mr Chambers said the multinational tax crackdown would, quote, ensure multinationals pay their fair share of tax where they make their profits, and in our case, here in Australia. The policy would clamp down on companies using debt to avoid paying tax and introduce transparency measures to reveal links to tax havens. He said yesterday... Uh, Mr Chalmers, that our changes to multinational tax are about levelling the playing field for Australian businesses. He said the changes add barely 0.1% to tax receipts. Now, the tax crackdown is part of a three-pillar approach unveiled in Labor's economic plan, including cutting spending on contractors and undertaking an audit of waste and rorts. Well, that's that's a good idea, isn't it? an audit of waste and rorts. Meanwhile, Labor has seized on skyrocketing inflation rates, which I knew they would, which of course I mentioned have jumped to 5.1% in the 12 months to March. Uh, Now, Mr Chalmers said yesterday this inflation number should be a wake-up call for a government which is, quote, out of touch, out of plans and out of time. Australians are getting absolutely smashed by the rising cost of living on Scott Morrison's watch. Mr Chalmers said this is Scott Morrison's triple whammy of skyrocketing cost of living, rising interest rates and falling real wages. Yeah, look, uh, I know that many economists, uh, you know, uh, with the interest rate rise probably coming next week, uh, will criticise Labor uh, for politicising it, but if they're using it, I guess, as a... Uh, an attack saying it's a triple whammy, it's hard to argue against it. Skyrocketing cost of living. Well, it's been happening, yes. Rising interest rates and falling real wages. 
Companies who operate in tax havens are rubbing shoulders with criminals. Uh, Labor's assistant treasury spokesman has claimed Andrew Lee, good friend of the program. He said Labor's policy to increase transparency for companies using tax havens is carefully calibrated and responsible. They target the scourge of tax havens like the Cayman Islands and Bermuda, according to Andrew. We might speak to Andrew Lee in the coming days. We know the tax havens are the hidey holes for ill-gotten gains. If you're doing business in a tax haven, you're rubbing shoulders with criminals. Now, Mr Chalmers, meanwhile, said an audit of rorts and waste would target structural problems in the budget rather than individual election commitments being made by the coalition ahead of the May 21 poll. Now, Labor will support local commitments if they, quote, have merit and a proposed audit of wasteful spending will get to the bottom of a government that has made rorting and wasting taxpayer money an art form, according to the federal opposition. Okay, in just a couple of moments, what on earth is Matt Canavan thinking? I mean, he certainly, uh, he's always been outspoken. Many of his harshest critics, including me, call him Cosplay Canavan because of the, you know, the... Uh, I guess that the always dressing up like a miner when he's really a, a property tycoon from northern Australia. But anyway, look, he's a nice bloke, Matt Canavan. And I've spoken to him a number of times. I mean, I don't uh, agree with him continuous, continuously denying climate change and all the rest of it. But he's had quite a bit to say, which is almost, you know, uh, probably aged the Prime Minister and... Barnaby Joyce overnight regarding net zero. He's doubled down on his claim that net zero is dead. And it has sparked outrage from his colleagues. And it also threatens to derail the coalition's campaign. I'll get into that story in more detail in just a couple of minutes. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, welcome back. Um, his critics call him Cosplay Canavan, Matt Canavan, of course. He's always been outspoken, and we know that he is probably no friend of climate change, and he is also uh, probably the closest friend, or one of, that the mining industry here in Australia have. Anyway, he's certainly outspoken, and he's doubled down on his claim that net zero emissions is, quote, dead. Yeah, well, the net zero thing is all sort of dead anyway. It's all over. I mean, it's all over by the shouting here. And that has sparked outrage from his colleagues and threatened to derail the coalition campaign. Does he need to pull his head in? Yeah, pull your head in, Matt. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said his commitment to a carbon-neutral future was, quote, absolute. But it hasn't stopped Senator Canavan and his national colleagues from reigniting the climate wars, with Mr Canavan saying he's not concerned his view might be at odds with the coalition. Now, he said yesterday, uh, where was he? Oh, he was in a cattle yard in Gracemere. Anyway, the rest of the world is doing nothing to go towards net zero commissions, uh, emissions rather. If the net zero is alive and kicking, show me what countries are doing that, says Matt Canavan. If net zero is alive and kicking, why are European countries desperate for our coal right now? Mr Morrison denied the coalition is at odds on climate, saying nobody should be surprised by Matt Canavan's comments. Is it time, as Michael McCormack says, for him to pull his head in? Well, everybody knows that Matt hasn't been supportive of that position. There's no news there. That's his view. It's no surprise. 
ScoMo said he's held it for a long time. That debate has been done, he told reporters in Rockhampton yesterday. And he also stressed that Senator Canavan's views were not the position of the government and denied the emission reduction target could cause a rift between the cities and the regions. He did concede, however, that the Nationals backbencher had a point over Labor's plan to beef up the safeguard mechanisms, that is, a benchmark that requires Australia's largest greenhouse gas emitters to keep their net emissions below a set limit. Now, he says it's a sneaky carbon tax which Labor is putting in place, and it's not just on the coal mining industry, it's on fuel supplies, it's on petroleum, on gas, it's on the transport sector, it's right across the board, said the Prime Minister. The safeguard mechanism was legislated by the Abbott government, but Mr Morrison denied a, quote, carbon tax scare campaign was misleading. He said the difference, as you know, how the thresholds work, the fact we put incentives in place, what Labor is doing is binding them on this and issuing penalties on those companies so they couldn't be more different. All right, as to if Australians could trust him, so he was asked if Australians could trust him to follow through on net zero. Mr Morrison said he takes the commitment, quote, very seriously, but he did decline to say he would legislate the target. He said... This has been an issue that has been very difficult for our side of politics. I was the first leader of our party to actually get our coalition together on the same page on this issue, and that was no simple challenge. All right, meanwhile, Scott Morrison has failed to outline how much more tax Australians will pay when the low and middle income tax offset wraps up in the coming months, despite him spruiking the government's cost of living measures. Uh, ScoMo was in uh, Rocky, Rockhampton yesterday and he welcomed the beginning of the rollout of these uh, $250 payments to around 6 million Australians, including pensioners, concession card holders and veterans. He said it was an important part of our budget. Critics, of course, say it's a bribe right in the middle of an election campaign. Homeowners, economists and Mr Morrison all remain on tenterhooks as to whether stronger-than-expected inflation data will trigger a Reserve Bank of Australia interest rate hike next week. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we've got a, uh, well, (laughs) a CPI that's rising at a rapid rate. Uh, It rose by 2.1% to more than double, uh, more than a decade high during the March quarter. That is 5.1% through the year, and that has easily outstripped the market's expectations. Now, the key question for borrowers, and everybody in fact, now is whether this rate of 5.1% is hot enough for the Reserve Bank Governor, Philip Lowe, and his board to announce a controversial pre-election interest rate hike as early as next Tuesday. Many believe that will be the case. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Marcus Paul in the morning. You and your family, the essential services you rely on right now. Yeah, something a little lighter very soon. Margot Robbie. Love Margot Robbie. Uh, I thought she was brilliant uh, in The Wolf of Wall Street. She's been great in her own films, um, Suicide Squad, all the rest of it. Anyway... She's a Barbie girl. (laughs) I think she's perfect as Barbie. She's, well, she's just perfect. 
Can you tell I'm in love? Anyway, Margot Robbie, a story on her in just a couple of moments. Uh, before that, though, Dominic Perrottet and the New South Wales government. Uh, they really are under the pump from unions who, as you know, uh, had threatened that this year of 2022 would be one like no other um, when it came to strikes, industrial action, because, look, even though some government MPs and those working up in the higher echelon of the public service have been looked after very well, thank you very much, uh, with some nice pay rises, our frontline workers, our nurses, our school teachers, fireys, police, ambos, uh, they've all been told to, you know, basically stop whinging and shut up, you're not getting a pay rise. Well, as we know, uh, strikes have been happening and will continue to happen. And yesterday, teachers at a Sydney high school walked out of their classrooms in a snap strike as the Premier toured the school. Uh, this is the new uh, Western Sydney school, Marsden High. Teachers walked out of classrooms minutes before New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet was due to give a press conference at the uh, Meadowbank Education Precinct. Staff carried signs from the New South Wales Teachers Federation as they congregated outside the school yesterday morning. Students returned to class, of course, today and were not uh, at school during the time of the walkout. Now, it comes a day after the union voted to shut down schools on May the 4th, while also banning the rollout of any new policies and forbidding government MPs from even setting foot on school grounds. This is all a part of the battle to secure a pay rise for teachers. Now, Mr Perrottet, who is touring the new education precinct at Meadowbank, said teachers were incredibly pleased at its opening, despite around 40 staff walking away from the school minutes before he was due to give a press conference at the site. Now, Mr Perrottet said he had not seen any angst in the teachers during his tour of the precinct, and the action was, quote, the Labor Party and the union movement playing politics with our kids. A load of bullshit. Sorry. Anyway, he said we are working through those issues with the unions right across the board. As I've said, we want our teachers to be paid the best. Well, get on with it. Pay them. Anyway, Mr Perrottet said he was working through the issue of teachers' pay rise in the lead-up to the state budget in June. He said, we've made it very clear that we'll work through it in the budget. Uh, now, yesterday, uh, no, I think it was Tuesday, in fact, Education Minister Sarah Mitchell urged the union to engage with the Industrial, Relation, uh, with the Industrial Relations Commission's process rather than striking. But look, as we all know, uh, the union and teachers, and not just at the teachers' union, but others here in New South Wales have, have ignored uh, the IRC's suggestions, the Industrial Relations Commission's and, st and striked anyway. Anyway, uh, the Education Minister is imploring the union not to disrupt students' education further, saying it was a bit frustrating. They were threatening action just days after the announcement to scrap mandates. All right, well, what do you make of it all? Uh, I'd love to get your comments. If you like, you can send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au, or if you like, comment on the Facebook page. Oh. All right, 
there's little doubt the Solomon Islands was a curveball. The Maybe the federal government didn't see coming, although, come on, uh, I'm pretty sure intelligence and, uh, <laughs> and probably a little bit of research and understanding of uh, China's motives. I, I honestly believe the federal government knew exactly what was going to happen in the Solomon Islands before they let on uh, to us that they did. Anyway, Australia, the, new, the latest in all of this, Australia will resist sending soldiers and police to the Solomons if they are forced to operate alongside Chinese security personnel. As concern grows that Beijing will deploy brutal and repressive tactics in the Pacific Island nation. Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrews yesterday warned it was very likely China would attempt to send troops to the Solomon Islands, while also claiming Beijing had politically interfered in Australia's election without providing any evidence. Okay. More than 100 members of the Australian Federal Police and ADF were sent to the Solomons, as we know, last November to help Prime Minister Manassar uh, quell a violent uprising. The Australian government is now rethinking its approach in the wake of the country's controversial security pact with China. Australia's top spy. Really? Imagine having that title. Anyway, it's Andrew Shearer. What is he, the head of Asia or something? Anyway, our top spy, Andrew Shearer, confirmed yesterday to the Sydney Morning Herald there would be concerns with unity of command on the ground if Australian and Chinese forces had to operate side by side. Unity of command is always desirable in any security operation and confusion around unity of command is an issue. Uh, There we go. He's the Director General of the Office of National Intelligence, which of course is Australia's peak intelligence agency. Look, he also says we are concerned that in such a fragile, volatile country, Chinese policing techniques and tactics that we've seen deployed so ruthlessly in Hong Kong, for example, are completely inconsistent with the Pacific way of resolving issues. And it could incite further instability and violence in the Solomon Islands. Now, Mr Shearer said the security deal wasn't an intelligence failure, This strategy has been unfolding for a number of years. Well, there you go. See, uh, ASIO, our intelligence organisations, they they would have known uh, that the Solomons would most likely do some sort of deal with China. Anyway, Mr Shearer said the security deal wasn't an intelligence failure. He's warning that China wants a region, quote, where it has sustained military presence, unquote. So it can make it more difficult for the American and Australian military to operate in a crisis. China currently has security advisers on the ground in the Solomons, but there are fears from within the Australian government the new security pact could pave the way for Beijing to deploy a frontline police and military presence in the country. Government sources said Australia would still look to support Solomons in the future, but would ensure its forces wouldn't be operating alongside Chinese personnel. Now, the director of the defence program at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, Michael Shoebridge, said any future development of Australian uh, deployment, rather, of Australian defence and personnel, uh, including police, would have to be entirely separate from Chinese security. 
The way the Chinese presence would operate would be brutal and repressive, just like they are at home, and we would not want to be complicit or accountable for their behaviour, said Mr Shoebridge. Uh, Meanwhile, Jonathan Pryke, who's the director of Lowy Institute's Pacific Islands program, said the prospect of Australian and Chinese forces being asked to defend the same areas and assets was a real volatile situation. He said the reality is Australian police are seen as trusted third party in the Solomons, with previous surveys showing more than 70% of the population were supportive of their presence. That's Australian police. Under the operation um, that's been ongoing, in fact, between 2003 and 2017, Um, he says we have been the security backstop in that country since 2003 and we should retain that commitment. But we should also make it very clear that we would be very worried how to manage it operationally were China asked to do the same. Well, let's be honest. I doubt very much now that the Chinese have their claws in that the Solomon Islands would look to Australia. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, welcome back now. We are less than, what, three weeks away. Is that right? Three weeks away? Give or take. We're halfway through the election campaign. On the 21st of May, Prime Minister Scott Morrison goes head-to-head with opposition leader Anthony Albanese for the keys to the lodge and Kirribilli House. Now, despite what they say... Both Labor and, of course, the other major parties, the Libs and the Nationals, will do a deal with any independent they have to. Uh, Despite what they say, they say they want to, you know, govern outright, but all signs at this stage are pointing towards a a hung parliament with a deal that might have to be done with, you know, someone who sits on the crossbench. Anyway, as I say, we're halfway there, and I thought this morning I'll catch up with... uh, uh, an old sparring partner on the pro. Well, I shouldn't really call him a sparring partner uh, because I tend to align with his side of politics. Of course I do. Julian Hill. Good morning, mate. G'day, mate. Great to be with you. It's nice to talk to you. Uh, look, we're in, uh, what, three weeks away now from uh, the, bud- uh, the, uh, the federal election. How are things shaping up from your point of view? We're about the halfway mark, and as Elbow always said, we'll be kicking with the wind uh, as we come into the last part, and I think that applies to both this term of parliament, but also the... So we're taking nothing for granted. I'm, I'm working hard in my electorate, and uh, Labor MPs and candidates right across the country are doing the same, uh, but we're ready, we're hungry, and we've got great plans for Australia, practical plans for a better future. Yeah. So I'm confident but not complacent is, I think, how we'd sum it up. Yeah. I'm just wondering the uh, inflation figure that came out yesterday, uh, that must be of concern to, uh, I guess, to, to everybody, um, including the incumbent government. The, the highest we've seen it in a couple of decades, in 20 years, 5.1%. Yeah, well, those inflation figures, the latest figure, just proves that on Scott Morrison's watch, the costs of living are skyrocketing, yet working families are falling behind and looming interest rate rises are about to be part of the pain. Frankly, everything in Australia is going up except people's wages. Uh, We've talked before about 
Real wages in this country have not just stagnated, they've gone backwards after a decade of the Liberal government. Um, so Scott Morrison, uh, he can't blame others. He refuses to take responsibility whenever he can, but this has happened on his watch. They've been in government nearly a decade. Uh, so, you know, handing out little $250 cash payment bribes in the budget, time to land during an election campaign, barely touches the sides of the problems that people are feeling. And that's why Labor has practical plans for a better future to cut the cost of living while not adding to inflationary pressures, things like cheaper childcare, cheaper power bills and more secure, well-paid jobs. Yeah, the cost of living, it really is one of the key factors of uh, of the election. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And the figure that came out yesterday only further hammers that point home. Well, the cost of living is what everyone's talking about right across the country, whether it's people are surviving on fixed social security payments, which are not keeping up with the cost of living, it's now clear, um, or workers are struggling to reconcile their stagnated wages uh, while costs go up. And it's that gap, you know, the cost of everything's going up, but your wages aren't going up at the same rate. What that means is falling real wages. Now, Australians get it. Prime Minister runs around telling us that the economy is going so well. Well, it's not. On their watch, they more than doubled the debt before COVID. Uh, wages have gone backwards in this country. Inequality is rising. Uh, it's harder for working families to get ahead. So that's the focus of our practical plans for a better future. Cheaper childcare, cheaper power yeah. and well-paid, secure jobs. Would it be fair to say there's a bit of panic uh, among the uh, the government at the moment? Uh, I think we saw that, didn't we, over the, the weekend? Uh, the Anzac Day weekend, uh, when Defence Minister Peter Dutton sounded the alarm, uh, making the, that extraordinary claim, I couldn't hear, believe it when I heard it, that we should be, quote, prepared for war. Well, look, the government's have been fine now. They're all over the shop. You've got Liberals jumping ship, refusing to appear or even mention Scott Morrison in the cities. You've got the National Party and Conservative Liberals in parts of Queensland and elsewhere in the country saying something completely different, abandoning their climate change plan, which is not a real plan. Uh, but look, Peter Dutton's rhetoric is frankly over the top. Um, there's no doubt that we face very serious strategic circumstances, the most complex circumstances in decades. Yeah. Um, our relationship with China's changed and it's become increasingly assertive and at times aggressive. Um, and of course, there's differences we've got to manage. Of course, the Australian government can and should and must stand up for our values. But what we've seen time and time again with this government is domestic political considerations overly influencing foreign policy and selling out the national interest. And that's something Penny Wong has been calm, clear and consistent on. We've got to take the politics out of things like China and always put our national interests first, not beat up the Liberal Party's uh, political fights internally yeah. uh, or domestic politics. Um, I, the term you used, uh, was it bin fire? Is that right? I did. I described the government as a bin fire. You know, <laughs> I, I could use other terms, but they're probably not fit for radio. I think Bill Shorten uh, famously last year described them as an SHIT show yeah. uh, at yeah. one point. Uh, so you get the drift. You can say shit on this station. It's okay. We're allowed. Um, <laughs> Very shit show. I, I'm just wondering because uh, didn't you get called out for that? Uh, someone called you a knucklehead. Oh, well, I get called <laughs> I get called lots of things. I don't pay much attention to it. I get fan mail. You get criticism. You, you can't have a glass jaw in this role. I did. Oh, look, I know uh, that. I, I did drop. I did, <laughs> team, mate. 
I did drop the S the the S word on on television. That's true. Last year, when I called the prime minister a bullshit artist, yeah, uh, and you know, I got a lot of good response from Australians for that. They said, "Yeah, you've summed it up well, mate." Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, we're as you say, uh, Labor intend to kick with the wind. Has Anthony Albanese being um, obviously held up at home in the last week, uh, COVID <laughs> positive? Has that been a negative to the campaign or, as some people have suggested, more positive? For instance, we're, we're hearing and seeing more of people like you, uh, Jason Clare and Jim Chalmers and, of course, the deputy. Yeah, look, I mean, first and foremost, everyone hopes that Elbow's health's OK and he's doing fine. Um, you know, it hits us all differently, but he's got his week out. Uh, of course, there's a bit of nervousness and just... No one's sure. How's this going to impact a campaign? This this sort of thing hasn't happened. I think 1975, Malcolm Fraser was hospitalised and went on to win the election, but it hasn't happened for a long time. So people were a bit like, hmm, what's trepidatious? Um, yeah. But uh, my observation is it's turning out fine for us uh, for a couple of reasons. Exactly as you say, Labor has a really talented shadow cabinet. Without doubt, without question, we will be, if we're elected and given trust, by the Australian people, will be the most experienced incoming ministry uh, in modern Australian history. People See, have already... Yeah, what you're saying is right if you actually uh, take a bit of time to look uh, at the at the history. Um, you're absolutely right. So that, that flies in the face of, I guess, the, uh, the government's main attack point, which is, you know, who do you trust? Uh, us with runs on the board or an inexperienced <coughs> labor opposition well not really when you when you actually look at the uh, at the history well penny wong will be a terrific foreign minister katie gallagher has headed a state and territory government yeah. in the act she's run a budget she's she can run the finance ministry you know measure for measure across the board our team is stronger no doubt about it and so that's one thing it's given us a chance to showcase the depth of elbow's team there's one thing about Elbow, he knows how to lead. He assembles a good team, he plots a strategy, and he's honest and he shows up. I've known the guy for 25 years. Yeah. Um, he's a mate, he's caring, authentic. You know, he's really tough. People you know, would es- underestimate him at their peril, uh, but he's experienced and he'll be a great PM. But the second thing, mm. um, I hadn't really thought about this till I've seen had the TV on the last few days, Scott Morrison's been up there every day dominating the news. That can only be a good thing for Labor. The more people see of Morrison, the better we do. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, you know, there's been a, a few own goals. And look, in fairness, um, it, it was perhaps a bit of a slow start. There's, there were a couple of uh, – I mean, it's it's almost sheep stations. So I understand the pressure is on for absolutely everybody. And, and from time to time, a few mistakes might be made. Uh, if you forget a figure here, there. Um, uh, what did you make of that early criticism of Elbow, though? Was it a little over the top? Oh, well, look, Elbow owned up. He forgot a figure. It, you know, frankly, he had a brain freeze for a yeah. moment. That happened to all of us. But government is not an episode of Quizmaster. You know, as Adam Bant aptly said, you know, Google it, mate. If we're going to play the gotcha game on random facts and stats, um, you know, one of the things about Scott Morrison that I've observed, he's a really cunning politician yeah, and he's a strong campaigner, but he's no good at actually being the prime minister. So, you know, sure, people may forget a figure one day, but that has no bearing on their ability to actually be the leader of this country. To Elbow's credit, he forgot a figure on day one and he fronted up and said, yeah, sorry, I own that. 
moved on. I mean, what's the big deal? You know, there's people have written to me. I've received many emails in frustration um, saying that some of the journos, you know, by the time they're writing about it on day three, yeah. you know, it's 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 lost all sense of proportion. And I think everyone's moved on now. It's not what Australians are looking for as they make up their minds about the future of the country. No, uh, very true. But uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, in some sections of the media, those gotcha moments uh, make for pretty splashy headlines. Uh, all right, Julian, good to chat. Um, maybe if you don't mind, in the uh, uh, in a couple of weeks, we might touch base one more time um, as the campaign really kicks into gear ahead of uh, the 21st of next month. Always good to chat, mate. Looking forward to it. You take care. You too. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Now, I'm sure you're like me and would love nothing more than, uh, I guess... An end to the mystery disappearance of William Tyrrell. Well, unfortunately, I don't think we're any closer to finding out. Uh, it's good that overseas police have arrested a suspect in the Madeleine McCann missing mystery, but we're still no closer here in Australia to finding out what happened to the boy, the little bloke in the Spider-Man suit. Anyway, uh, a former person of interest in William's disappearance... A bloke by the name of Bill Spedding was charged with unrelated historical child sex offences, which had previously been examined and not pursued because police believed he snatched the toddler and wanted to punish him. That's what a court has heard. Now, the 70-year-old Bill Spedding went to fix a washing machine at a Kendall home in northern New South Wales several days before the three-year-old vanished from the property on September the 12th, back in 2014. Police formed Strike Force Rosin to investigate the toddler's disappearance, and Spedding was one of the early suspects. However, he was, and this is important, however, he was later ruled out. During the investigation, Spedding was publicly arrested at his home and office searched in January 2015, he participated in a gruelling six-hour interview and he was charged in April 2015 with the historical sexual assault of two children, which he was later acquitted of. Now, Spedding, and I always suspected this would be the case, but he is now suing the state of New South Wales in the Supreme Court seeking damages which will be probably in the tens of millions if he wins. So the damages for malicious prosecution, misfeasance in public office, collateral abuse of process and false imprisonment. He spent time in jail, this bloke. In an opening statement earlier this week, his barrister said Spedding was charged with the 1987 assault of two children in Sydney Southwest because... His client will argue police believe he took William and wanted to punish him. Now, Spedding was acquitted of the charges in the New South Wales District Court back in 2018, and he was also awarded costs. Uh, his barrister says the allegations were initially investigated by police back in 1987, and no charges were laid. However, they were revived by Strike Force Rosen uh, because... The officers very strongly believed Spedding had abducted Tyrrell. Now, the evidence, according to his barrister, will overwhelmingly demonstrate that the criminal proceedings were used as a vehicle to further the investigation of the plaintiff as a suspect in the disappearance of William Tyrrell and to punish him 
for his suspected involvement. He said former detective Gary Jubelin, then head of the strike force, thought charging spedding might crack him open if he had something to hide or make his wife think differently about him. They say evidence suggested the abuse allegations were concocted in the 1980s by adults involved in court proceedings against spedding. He said a court judgment from the time made findings that these individuals had coached children into saying they were abused. Now, earlier this week, the court heard Spedding had been enjoying a coffee on his veranda with his wife on January the 20th, 2015, when police executed their search warrant at his home and took him to Port Macquarie Police Station for questioning. He was subject to questioning for a gruelling six hours, as well as accusations from the police, which included, we believe you may have grabbed William from the front yard of that address. You may have left that area without anyone knowing. We, of course, very much believe it, one of the officers said. Now, they say when Mr Spedding was driven back from the police station after the interview, one of the detectives turned around and shouted in an angry tone, we know you did it, we're going to get you, I'm going to come and arrest you. Now, Mr Spedding apparently replied that he hadn't done anything and said, what are you talking about? Anyway, the next morning, Spedding called the detective back to say he had located bank records that proved he'd been at a cafe with his wife on the morning William disappeared. Uh, The officer apparently responded, and this is what the court heard, I'm tired of your bullshit and lies. Don't speak to me again. Anyway, Spedding was then charged with the unrelated historical charges some three months later. Anyway... Uh, He's spoken before about this, uh, the devastation, if you like, uh, on the impact of William Tyrrell investigators, um, basically, um, trying whatever they can to crack him. Uh, Look, that's what police do. Uh, And it's important that we get to the bottom of the William Tyrrell disappearance. There's no doubt about that. But I don't believe it's right if a man's been acquitted of something for police then to reopen a case just because they think he might be guilty. Anyway, um, the, the court um, will continue to hear more evidence as the trial continues, and I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Spedding is compensated. Marcus Paul in the morning. Alright, well that's it for today's program. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, between 7 and 9. However you choose to listen to us, we thank you for it, whether it's on the iHeartRadio platform, uh, on starterfm.com.au, or on uh, TuneIn, however it is. Maybe later in the day on the Prawncast podcast. We thank you very much for your support. Uh, Please, if you can, drop us a a few coins, uh, become a patron uh, via Patreon and Uh, If you could support us, that'd be wonderful so we can continue to provide some independent uh, talk, if you like. Now, something we are going to start incorporating from next week will be your calls. How are we going to do it? Well, we're working on that. Uh, But at this stage, highly likely there'll be a number for you to call um, and we'll get back to you and record you with me and and all the rest. Anyway, we're going to sort that out. Uh, That is something that's coming next week. All right, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Prawncast up a little later as well. Please continue to leave your comments, as you always do, on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the Morning. If you do listen to the Prawncast, uh, share it on your socials. 
If you wouldn't mind, that'd be great so that we can continue to grow our audience. Have a wonderful day. We'll catch you tomorrow on Friday. Bye for now. Bye for now.